I'm Chance. And I'm Sarah Catherine. And this is Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. We are a husband and wife team running a wildlife education nonprofit. It's focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that. Introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals in the world of conservation science and wildlife management, and we ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with EarthX here in Dallas, Texas. EarthX is the largest Earth Day celebration in the world, and it brings in speakers from every corner of the environmental arena. Listen in to hear the stories of today's environmental titans, covering everything from environmental law, ocean health, renewable energy, clean transportation, and so much more. Let's get to the show. Alrighty, guys, today we are talking with Glenn Prickett. He is the co-founder and principal of Rock Creek Strategies, LLC, and he's also had a long history with the Nature Conservancy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So I want to start this off with, Glenn, if you could give me like two sentences that describe what you're doing and what Rock Creek Strategies does to help protect the planet. I'll give you one sentence. <laughs> All right. We help companies, investors, and organizations incorporate the value of nature in economic development. So what all, now give us a broader scope of it. We'll (laughs) zoom out a little. Tell us what that means. What does that mean? Right. So nature, of course, is priceless, right? Like we couldn't survive without it. And yet the value that nature provides, clean air, clean water, protection against extreme weather and floods doesn't show up in in our economic accounts anywhere. It's what economists call an externality. So we depend on it, but we don't pay for it. And therefore we misuse it. And so a lot of the reason... The environment's in bad shape in many places is that companies, households don't value it economically. So scientists and economists for quite a while now have been saying, hey, wait a minute, nature has value. We should account for the value of nature. We talk about it as natural capital, but it's been kind of an academic concept. So what I've really been focused on at the Nature Conservancy and now in this new business, Rock Creek Strategies, is helping a company or an investor figure out how do you take that abstract value and make it concrete. So here's an example. At the Nature Conservancy, we worked with Dow Chemical, one of the biggest chemical manufacturers in the world, to figure out what is the value of nature to their manufacturing operations. And so starting with a big project in Texas and their largest manufacturing facility on the Gulf Coast, we tried to look at what value does nature provide to their business on a day-to-day basis. It provides water, This is an area where there's a lot of drought on the Texas Gulf Coast. So are there things they can do to restore the watershed around their operations to keep more water flowing so they don't have to build more expensive storage reservoirs? We looked at coastal floods, which are more and more intense because of climate change and there's a lot of damage to their operations from flooding. Could we restore coastal wetlands and oyster reefs to provide uh, protection against storm damage so they wouldn't have to raise the levees and spend more on, on hard infrastructure? And we looked at air quality. That's uh, The larger Houston area is what EPA calls a non-attainment zone for ozone pollution. And ozone is formed by nitrogen oxides and carbon um, oxides that mix in the atmosphere. So Dow emits a lot of pollution. Um, and every time they add to their plant, they have to put in new expensive pollution control devices. 
Could they do that more cheaply by restoring natural bottomland hardwood forests around their manufacturing facilities? So we looked at these economic values in nature and determined that there were some strategies they could pursue that would be good for the bottom line of the business and good for the environment, which the Nature Conservancy cared about. And based on that work, they've now got a global goal of generating a billion dollars in value for the company by protecting and restoring nature around the world where they operate. So that... That was a good example we had at the Nature Conservancy, and that my new company is going to be doing that kind of work with with other companies. So basically, there's things that businesses are already spending money on, that if they took that money and they spent it on ways that they could help improve the environment, the environment will take care of that need, right? Exactly. So they have to take care of removing these ozone-producing gases right. that they're already, you know, they're already spending money to get those out of the atmosphere. If they spend that money instead planting forests or protecting hardwood bottom forests... The forest itself is already removing a Provides lot of that. Uh, service. Of that. Exactly. Right. Yep. This is kind of the idea of ecosystem services, right? Exactly. Yeah. You can call it natural infrastructure. Nature performs a lot of the things we build infrastructure to do, whether it's providing water or cleaning the air or managing floods. Another great example, I live in Washington, D.C. D.C., like a lot of other old cities, has kind of an antiquated combined stormwater and sewer system. Um, and you don't want to imagine too much about this, but it's a combined system. <laughs> the sewage goes into the same pipes as the stormwater. And so we get more and more of these torrential rain events because of climate change. And when the combined system overflows, it all goes into the Potomac and the Anacostia rivers, which finds its way down into the Chesapeake Bay. And it's a, it's a growing source of water pollution in the Chesapeake. So EPA has told DC that they've got to you know, improve their stormwater management so that, you know, it all doesn't flow into the bay and they can build bigger pipes, which would be like a $5 billion uh, challenge. And they're going to have to do some of that. But EPA has also said, oh, you could also create more open space, more green space in and around the city to absorb the stormwater so it doesn't all run off into the storm drains. Uh, so at the Nature Conservancy, we've been working with the city on creative ways to finance that. How can we work with landowners to basically restore green infrastructure, which will save the city money because then they don't have to be, build big expensive pipes. I definitely don't want sewage in our rivers or the bays or anything like that. I don't think right. anyone does. So no. <laughs> that totally makes sense. No, and then the beauty of, of nature solving some of these problems is not only do you keep the sewage out of the bay and the river, but you also get all these other benefits. So yeah. you know, neighborhoods get green space instead of pavement. You have more habitat for migrating birds. So if you care about nature, if you care about biological diversity, you want to see these things anyway. Now we figure out a way it can pay for itself by providing a lot of these really valuable services to communities and to companies. Absolutely. So you have been with the Nature Conservancy for about a decade, right? Right. And in this field, even longer than that. Right. I kind of have two questions here. I'm going to start with this one. You now have your own company. How long have you known that you wanted to start your own company as opposed to staying with the Nature Conservancy or moving to a different company? So I would say about five and a half months. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, quick turnaround. <laughs> no, because literally a year ago, I would not have thought I wanted to go start my own company. Wow. But um, I don't know. I, I sort of do things in 10-year cycles. I've worked for, in the environment my whole career, 30 years now, 31 years since I got out of college. And I've worked for a lot of great organizations the Nature Conservancy, Conservation International, U.S. Agency for International Development, the Natural Resources Defense Council, and I've lots, sort of lots moved. Of movers and shakers yeah, and I've sort field. of moved every ten years, and 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 I was sort of coming up on the time where 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 I'd sort of done what I hoped to do when I went to the Nature Conservancy, and it was time for the next challenge. And as I started talking to people about what I might do next, it could have been in the Nature Conservancy, it could have been outside. I realized, hey, enough people have enough good ideas of what I could do to help them that I could actually go start my own business. So that was that was about six months ago. 
Wow. And um, and here I am. And, and I, I got to thank That's TNC. Awesome. TNC was hugely supportive of me as I sort of went off to do this. And we're going to continue. I'm going to be continuing to work with TNC along with other clients. That's great. It's really awesome that this idea came through your work with the Nature Conservancy. Yeah. But they're also supportive of you saying, you know, like, hey, let me take care of this. And I will be a partner with you guys. You do exactly. what you're doing. And I'll be able to grow this yep. beyond what, what we have already done so far. That's yeah. a, a really cool partnership to yeah, have. Because ultimately what we all care about is the mission. You know, yeah. We're all trying right. to, you know protect the earth and help people thrive. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm motivated by. And this is just the best way for me to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then my second kind of question of that is I'm always really interested to see how you got into this field. Like some, mm. for some people, you know, it was like, oh, I was in elementary school and I read this book. And for some people, it's like I was studying this and it just kind of dawned on me that yeah. this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I've, I've been in love with nature and the outdoors since I was a little kid. My family moved around a lot. They were originally from Minnesota. That's where my, you know, most of my family was from. But my dad was, uh, first he was a naval aviator and then he was a mining engineer. So between those two careers, we moved all the time. Yeah. So I, I lived in three places growing up, Chicago, Illinois, Tucson, Arizona, and St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, wow. But so it was pretty diverse, but the constant in all of that was always nature and the outdoors. We were always hiking or camping, fishing. And I, some of my earliest memories, actually, in Lake Bluff, Illinois, I remember um, hiking in this ravine in our community, which at the time felt like this huge rainforest. I went back a few years ago, and it was just this tiny, you know, <laughs> tiny little stream. But, yeah. you know, when you're three or four years old, it seems like massive. And yeah. we would hike down to Lake Michigan, the lakeshore. And this was in the 1960s, and there was a lot of pollution in the lake at that time, and they would get these events where these dead fish would wash up on the shore. Alewife is the, is the kind of fish. And I remember standing on the beach with my mom once saying, why are all these dead fish on the lakeshore? And she taught me about pollution. And it was, you know, it was the first time I'd ever thought about that. So I kind of grew up in love with nature. My parents and my family were all environmental activists from the 60s on. And then at college, I studied economics and political science. And I got really interested in international development and how do you fight poverty in the developing world. And I had this, it all comes down to this one lecture I had. It was an African studies course, and it was a guest lecturer, an anthropologist. And he talked about deforestation in Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast in West Africa, and how while the forests were removed in the name of economic development to plant cocoa plantations, it actually harmed the local communities who relied on the natural forests to collect forest products for their livelihoods. So I was like, wow, this thing I love, nature, is actually connected to this thing I want to pursue professionally, economic development. And in fact, nature is an asset for economic development. And that just sort of blew my mind. Um, and my whole career has been about that. Um, in fact, the next semester, I had a, a, another development economics course with uh, a development economist who shared the Nobel Prize for his role in the Green Revolution. And I wrote a paper on, on deforestation as an economic issue. And I was, I remember I was very nervous to get the paper back and he gave me like a C on the paper. <laughs> and at the end of the paper, it said, this is not a development issue. And I was so angry that I thought, okay, my career is basically a revenge fantasy against that professor. Seems like it's going pretty well so far. <laughs> Although about a year ago, I was going through old papers and I pulled out that paper and it was a really bad paper. <laughs> so I actually, now looking back at I it, I deserved the C, but... <laughs> I did go on to, you know, sort of work on this as a development issue. So, yeah, and then I just, I came out of college. I went to Washington, D.C. I just tried to figure out how I could be of service working on international development and the environment. And here I am. 
Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. So at this point, how big is your company? Is you're it looking just at you? it. Yeah, I'm looking at it. All right. Wow. We have two companies in this room right now. Yes. Because you're looking our, at all of our uh, nonprofit yeah, right yeah, now yeah, too. Yeah. No. So it's it's me. Uh, I've got five clients, and like I said, they're businesses, they're investors, and they're organizations, nonprofit organizations. And I'm you know I'm I'm going to be happy serving them, and I want to grow a little bit. I don't want it to become too big. I'll likely hire a few people. But I want to be nimble and just be able to work with important organizations doing important things. Yeah, I think we all want that. I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I love TNC. I love the groups I've worked for. One of the things I think, though, is like there's so much change going on in the world right now. Like it's hard to know, you know, what organizations are going to be effective in five years, let alone survive in five years. So I'm feeling like it's a good time to sort of be nimble. And I was going to ask, do you have yeah. like a five year plan or a 10 year plan for the business at this point? I mean, um, that's a great question. I don't. I wouldn't say I have a plan. I think I have a vision. There you, you go. Know, Close the, enough. Of the um, the kind of impact I want to have, the kind of clients I, I want to work with in, in business and in, in, in nonprofits, and um, you know, I could see the organization growing to five or you know maybe five or ten people um, working on high impact projects with great organizations. But it's a, a really great niche that you've kind of yeah, developed. It's the for value yourself. of nature, you know. Why and and what's exciting right now is it. When I got into this field in the late 1980s, there was sort of a reawakening in the environmental movement. You know, the first modern environmental movement, wave of the mo modern movement was back in the 60s and 70s. Silent Spring era. Yeah, yeah. And then in the late 80s, it kind of came back again. And, you know, climate change sort of became a topic in, in debate and in the news. And Time Magazine put Planet Earth on, the, on its person of the year on the cover. And Al Gore and Tim Wirth and Senator John Hines traveled to the Amazon and started talking about climate change. So that's when I started. And then for a long time, it's kind of felt like we've been a back burner issue. But now I think because climate change is real and we've got particularly a younger generation seeing the impact and wondering why we, the older generation, hadn't, haven't done anything about it yet, there's a real movement growing again. It's a pretty exciting time, actually. Yeah, it's a, a, a pretty fun time for us as well to be kind of getting this up and running and, and seeing that we're not the only ones our age that are willing to put kind of their whole of everything right. into resolving these issues yeah. because and it's global. It's a global yeah, movement. It's global. Yeah. Absolutely. And speaking of the change that you were talking about, even saying, you know, you don't know where it's going to be in five years, but looking back in the 30 or so years that you've been working in this field, what changes have you seen in that time? Mm. I'm sure it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah, pretty, dr pretty dramatic. So when I started when I came out of school, business by and large didn't care that much about the environment. If they thought about the environment at all, it was kind of a regulatory obligation that they had to comply with, you know, mm -hmm. follow the law. And they would have environmental teams in business that that was their job was to make sure everybody, they stayed compliant with the law. Fast forward to today, some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies see the environment as a really strategic issue for their bottom line in the future. So, uh, you know, whether it's Walmart or Procter & Gamble or General Mills, Unilever, these are all companies that are sort of at the forefront of trying to figure out, like, how do we serve customers who more and more are going to care about sustainability of the environment? So that's one big positive change I've seen is just sort of the awakening of the of the business community to the importance of the environment. That's definitely a theme that we've heard kind of over and over from people, especially here at EarthX, is that yeah. we're in a time where it's no longer a, a personal issue or a hobby to care about the environment. It's an economic driver. Yeah. You know, it's a huge economic opportunity to make sure that what a business needs to do is sustainable, yeah. is something that's going to keep working for them yeah. into the future. Yeah. So one of the companies I work with is General Mills, and, you know, they provide food to people around the world, and so they rely on agricultural supply chains. 
and they're really concerned about what's happening with climate change to agriculture. And so one of their strategies is to try to encourage growers in their supply chain, farmers who grow wheat or oats or raise dairy, to invest more in the health of their soils so that if the soils are healthier, they're more resilient against extreme weather. They hold water better in droughts. They drain better in floods. Um, and so they're looking at that ecological service, the health of soils, and how can they help their growers um, manage their soils better for sustainability. So that's, you know, that's a, a, a dollars and cents issue for General Mills because they're concerned about disruptions in their supply chain from flooding or droughts. Um, you know, we're, we were here today with the Future 500 conference at EarthX, and we just heard a panel with uh, someone from the policy shop at ExxonMobil and a woman who recently retired as the head of sustainability at Nike, both saying from different perspectives, but both saying climate change is real. People are contributing to climate change. We need policies around the world to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. They came at it from really different perspectives, but they shared that belief that the future of their business depends on addressing climate change. So that was, I'd say that's the biggest positive change. Unfortunately, the biggest negative change I've seen is in the U.S. government. And, and that is not at all a partisan statement because prior to the 1990s or you know, prior to the, the year 2000, we had Republican and Democratic administrations and Republican and Democratic majorities in the House and Senate who wanted to do something about the environment, who saw it as an important issue. Um, when I came to Washington, D.C. after college to work on the environment, we worked as much with Republicans as Democrats on the issue of climate change. Um, in fact, there was a an article in the paper just the other day about Representative Claudine Schneider, who was sort of the AOC of her day, but she was a Republican from Rhode Island. And oh, wow. she introduced one of the first pieces of climate legislation in the House of Representatives back in 1989. Um, so that sadly has, we've lost that bipartisan commitment of our U.S. government to, to address the environment. And that's what I'm really excited about rebuilding, particularly with young people around the country? How do we get Republicans and Democrats back to that place where they see that the environment matters to our future? And it's it shouldn't be a partisan issue. It's this it kind shouldn't of, be a divisive issue. It should be a uniting issue. Absolutely. I completely agree with that because it's this thing where regardless of where you stand, it affects everybody equally. We're global citizens. Yep. Wherever you are on the spectrum, climate change issues are going to affect you personally. Yep. And it's sad that we're at a point where we're seeing direct effects of climate right. change, but it's also really motivating and really powerful yep. because you can point and say, see this event that happened across a three-day span? This is largely due to these changes that have happened. You know, These are the big contributors to it, and these are the ways that we can slow that down in the future. Yeah, I have to update my vocabulary because I'm so used to talking about what climate change will do in the future and what the impacts of climate change will be. be. Yeah, now they are. It's not would anymore. It's are. Yep. And yeah, we're just seeing it more and more. Right on that brink every, of every of, month. Yeah. You know, now it's happening. But hopefully it's, you know, we, we don't have a lot of time, but we have just enough time if we get serious to change course. Yep. I think that's what that's what is most sobering, though, is we just don't have any more time to waste. Like, right. We've got about a decade to really change the trajectory of our economy toward zero carbon. And if and if we don't sort of get on that path in the next 10 years, then, you know, we, we will have missed the train, we miss it. And then we just pay the pay the price and, you know, suffering and economic impact. Yep. Yeah. In the past year and really even in the past couple of months, I feel like I've seen an increase in people in the government, regardless of party kind of taking more of a stance on these global climate issues. And I think part of that is probably because the public in general is taking more of a notice. So it's more important to people of all different areas. 
So have you noticed that Absolutely. as well at all? Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things I'm proud of that we worked on at the Nature Conservancy because TNC is a, it's a big tent organization. We have you know, more than a million members and they're Republicans, they're Democrats, they're urban, they're rural, they're all, all over ethnicities, the all, you know, in all 50 states and, and around the world. But thinking here in the U.S., we have you know, as many supporters in Republican congressional districts as we do in Democratic congressional districts. So we really went to work over the last five years to mobilize our volunteer leaders around the country to talk to their members of Congress about the environment and, and particularly about climate change. So along with other great organizations, we've helped mobilize more Republicans in Congress to stand up and say, yes, this is a problem. Climate is changing. People are responsible and we've got to do something about it. So, you know, we helped bring members into something called the Climate Solutions Caucus, which is a bipartisan group of legislators in the House of Representatives. And it's like a Noah's Ark caucus for every Democrat who joins because it's relatively easy to get Democrats to join a climate caucus. But every Democrat who joins has to bring a Republican along. Um, That's so I cool. think they're up to like 70 or so members now, they came which doesn't sound two. like a lot, but having 35 or more Republicans in the House of Representatives representatives say climate's a problem, we've got to do something about it. That's significant. And, you know, Awesome. That's our, a really our, cool idea. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get major climate legislation in this Congress with this administration. But if we have a different kind of administration and after 2020, then we were trying to basically build up bipartisan support for some real climate action. Takes a little bit all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that, boy, anybody who cares about this issue, the most important thing to do right now is get involved politically in your congressional district, in your state assembly, and absolutely in the presidential campaign. Just find a candidate who believes what you believe and go support her or him. Yep. And it's not just that one big presidential vote. No. You know, it, it's, vote, it's every level. voting at yeah. every level from, you know, your your local city or town government all the way up through the president. Yep. We definitely need to see an increase in, the, in representation of people who care about the environment and are willing yeah. to take a stand. Because yeah. it Because we have to change course so quickly. We absolutely need business out front. And that's where I've been doing a lot of work with companies. And there's a lot people can do in their day to day lives with, you know, the vehicles they buy and what and what they what they buy and kind of and how they manage their day to day life. But at the end of the day, we need laws and policies to make things change at a big scale. And that requires different elected officials or elected officials who think differently about the issues. And that's just comes from people getting involved in campaigns. So I want to take a little bit of a step back because I think we just have this really awesome golden nugget of the idea of having businesses spend money they were already going to spend mm -hmm. on taking care of the environment. Nature so, instead of other approaches. Exactly. Yeah. So if somebody who's listening right now wanted to learn more about this field of uh, ecosystem services or, or ways that businesses are doing that, mm -hmm. do you have any resources that we could direct them to, places they could learn a little bit more about it or maybe learn more about sure. what what your business is sure. doing? Yeah. So to learn more about what my business is doing, you can go to rockcreekstrat.com, short for rockcreekstrategies.com. That's my website. And and it's I'm brand new, so you'll see a little bit up there. Um, <laughs> and then I would also direct you to the Nature Conservancy, uh, where I worked until recently and still a very loyal alum of the Nature Conservancy, so <laughs> tnc.org. And TNC is doing a lot of great work with companies and investors to work on this natural capital, natural infrastructure approach. Um, there's a great partnership that TNC, World Wildlife Fund, have done with Stanford University and the University of Minnesota called the Natural Capital Project. And it's, it's, a, it's an academic um, center that's trying to really uh, bring better methods to how do you value nature and how do you get big institutions to, to uh, you know, 
take that value-based approach. So um, I don't know their website off the top of my head, but if you Google Natural Capital Project, you can learn a lot more there. We'll find it and we'll put it in the show notes. So if you're listening, check out the show notes and we'll make sure that we've got a link to all of that stuff. Yeah, that's there. where I'd start. And then each of those sites will take you on a bunch of other you know, wild rides into other resources. That brings up a really interesting point of how do you take a look at a forest and say, oh, this forest brings in this dollar amount of economic value by by doing these services? What you know? What are some of the methods you use to sort of really figure out the yeah. numbers. Yeah, so the first step is to start to think about, okay, what services is that forest providing? So let's think about it. Okay, depending on where you are, it could be providing water to a city downstream because if you lost the forest, suddenly you'd have all this runoff silt. You know, it would you'd have too much water in rainy times and not enough water in dry times. So a forest acts like a sponge to kind of hold the water and release it on a sustainable, clean basis down to the city. So you can try to um, measure, okay, what's the value of the water that the city uses? And what water do they get on a regular clean basis by having that forest there? And if the forest weren't there, hmm, they might have to build a filtration plant to clean the water. Oh, they might have to build a storage reservoir because it would be seasonal flooding and, and dry periods. So you can calculate the, the avoided cost of not having to build that storage reservoir or not having to build that water treatment plant. And that essentially becomes the value of that forested watershed to that city for that particular service of providing water. So that's one way. And at the Nature Conservancy, we developed a program called Water Funds, where we worked in cities across Latin America to help them do exactly that. Work with a city or a, um, a hydroelectric plant that needed a reservoir of water or a bottling plant. Coca-Cola, for example, is a major partner of the Nature Conservancies because they need a lot of water for their bottling plants. Right. Calculate what's the value of conserving that forest for the water. That's just one example. Another example I mentioned, D.C., stormwater. You know, right. They might have to build, I think it's $8 billion worth of bigger storm drains, or they could do a cheaper program of encouraging landowners around the city to create more green open space. So you basically sort of calculate the difference between the green approach to providing the service and the and the built infrastructure approach. Cool. Like we said many times in the show, you've been in this field for uh, 30 years or more. What do you do in your daily life to kind of help the planet? Sure. Well, so I, I love speaking to young people, so I try to do that a lot. Um, and the first thing I tell everybody, young and old, is first of all, just get out in nature. Um, that's really the most important thing is just to remind ourselves on a daily basis of like how magical it is and how important it is to to all of us for our health and our you know sanity. So number one, I try to spend as much time outdoors as I can and encourage everybody else to do that. Um, I just bought a Chevy Bolt, B like boy, right. Bolt. All, it's an all electric vehicle. It's awesome. It's the best car I've ever had, hands down. It's the most fun to drive. It's like a souped up golf cart. It's like <laughs> super fast, awesome. super easy to drive. It's quiet and you feel virtuous. So I call it my therapy car. It's like, <laughs> That's awesome. I wish everybody could have an electric vehicle and one day hopefully we all will have electric vehicles. Um, I just actually stepped down as the scoutmaster of my kids' Boy Scout troop, which was awesome. So I try to, as I said, work with young people and get them outdoors a lot and teach outdoor skills and you know, try to get kids out from in front of their screens, which is challenging. Yep. Um, I mean, you got to you got to see it. You know, it's got to be a part of your daily life absolutely. in order for you to care about you it. You got to see it to save it. You got to see it to care about it. Yeah. And I think my next challenge is getting um, PV on my roof. I don't have that yet. I'm still buying electricity off the grid. And where I live, there's a lot of coal in our in our um, power supply. So that's sort of the next challenge my wife and I have set for ourselves is figure out how to be 100 percent clean energy with with solar panels on our roof. Awesome. That's so great. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and making time for us. Yeah, thanks for what you're doing. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We would love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. We'll post bonus content that addresses your questions and gives you a little more information. A big thanks to EarthX for hosting us and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week. Bye.